Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am Ms. Melmore. And I am Mr. Craigers. And we are here to... It's our first request podcast from... Annie and Brad Brad from Miami. Annie and Brad from Miami, who um, emailed us. If you listened to the last episode, we had a little bit of a mailbag segment. You too can be part of the mailbag segment. Bless you, Craig. (laughs) If you you would like to send us an email, we can give you the contact information at the end. But Annie and Brad emailed us in asking... um, With a very nice, lovely email. With a lovely email that Craig heckled, because there were some typos. (laughs) Um, If we could pick around 10 to 12 horror films that we would kind of consider as a good way to get into horror so we were like that's great for kind of you know it's october and we were like so we're kind of doing that slash our october starter pack um, <laughs> yeah for anyone out there who who needs suggestions about films they want to watch because they want to get into the, the spooky mood slash you know anyone who just you know wants a list of films you know to to get more into it i think a lot of them you will probably have seen or heard of at some point if you're listening to this but um we've got some good rationale for why we picked them as kind of your your intro to horror intro to october halloween fun times and since amc has so far a pretty crappy lineup for their for their october marathon um you can make your own exactly so yeah that's what i do most years now yeah no i'm uh and it's it sucks because even Chiller doesn't really have anything interesting going on. They're doing their normal. It doesn't like come on guys, got to make it feel like Halloween. I feel like so many networks now, like AMC included, like they wait until so much closer until mm-hmm. Halloween to start their marathons. I was like Halloween and it starts used to September be like first all October. <sighs> yeah, you know that they would do it. Yeah, we're it's October. It's gonna be October fifth tomorrow at the time we're recording this. Like you need yeah. to. It's Halloween time, right? Um, so I guess we're just going to, we were trying to figure out the best way to do this. So I think we're just, I don't know, maybe do that thing where we trade off like we did last time. Yeah. Um, and see what happens there. Because we have some of the sa- that are the same and we've got a lot of honorable mentions. Honor- honorable? Honorary? We've got a lot of almost made the cut mentions yeah. um, to say as well. So <laughs> yeah, I think, do you want to start? Sure, I can. (laughs) Put you on the spot. So I did, Mel and I came up with two separate lists, and then before we started uh, recording, we were comparing titles and stuff. No surprise, we had a lot of overlap and stuff or whatever. I kind of divided my horror movie starter pack into the different Mm -hmm. sub-genres. So... Um, the first subgenre I was thinking of was old school horror. You know, you gotta if you want to if you want to start learning about horror, you want to get into the stuff this October. You have to have you gotta put up with that corny stuff from from the forties. Yeah, you you just I mean you know you gotta know know your history. Yeah. A lot of horror fans are really big on history, knowing what came beforehand and stuff or whatever. So. This means, generally speaking, the universal classics from the mm-hmm. 1930s and 40s. A number of great titles you could choose from here. Any of them, really. Um, King Kong, Bride of Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Wolf, any of them. I decided to go, as your 
for your official recommendation with Dracula. Dracula. Because how can you not go with Dracula? Exactly. He's the ultimate monster. He's the ultimate monster. This, this, this version, the 1931 version, is still the most well-known version of Dracula put to film. Um, directed by Todd Browning, starring horror icon Bella Lugosi. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is why you want to start, man. and you are not going to find a better <laughs> version of Dracula because trust me, I've like gone hunting <laughs> to see just like what's out there, and a lot of people know, I guess the. The I guess it was a '90s version with Keanu Reeves as um oh yeah as um Parker yeah, yeah like people think like there's there's not been a better adaptation of Dracula since yeah. this and you're probably not ever going to find one so if you are someone who's like I want to get into Dracula vampires like this is it like this is the total tone of of gothic Dracula it is it it's and I think it's still what we judge all like current and new adaptations of Dracula against. Yeah. Um, it, this is a movie that feels very much like a stage play. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like just based on the like the big gothic dark yeah. sets and stuff or whatever. Um, and it was actually based on one. Yeah, because uh-huh. uh, Dracula was a play before it was. That was the first thing it was adapted as, um, was a play, I believe. And that's what's so good about gothic fiction, though, is because it places such an emphasis on setting, so it lends itself so well to, to play adaptation and film adaptation. Yes. I agree. And this, and, like, the movie feels like that eerie gothic atmosphere that you get from the novel and the stage adaptation comes through really well. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels really cold. Um, Bella Lugosi's portrayal, obviously iconic now. Like, it nails that the accent and the, the creepy yeah. stare and everything. Listen to um, the children of the night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Crazy famous quotes. Yeah. Um, he played, I think, the character in the play, too, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um it's you know and and when you're going back to these films from the 1930s and 1940s a a lot of people you know say they don't they don't like older films particularly older horror films but you have to judge these old films by the standards of the day Um, because they're they're products of their time Um, but there's still like there's still a charm there's to a the charm. old universal films. And the thing is, is like, you can look at it and say like, okay, you know, this was then and this thing's 10 times scarier. That thing that's 10 times scarier would not have existed if this hadn't come first. Right. I mean, and you can see as, you know, hokey as you might think it is, or as kind of corny as you might think it is, you know, this is, you know, the, this was the baby, this was the genesis of, of everything that came after. Um, so, you know, it's like paying your respects in, in, in that sort of way and playing historian about it instead of saying like, oh, how aesthetically scary really is it? Exactly. And this is what kind of sort of catapulted horror as a film genre into the spotlight. Um, like, thanks to Dracula and Frankenstein and um, the performances of Bella Lugosi 
and Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney Jr. and Lon Chaney, you know, those big mm-hmm. kings of universal horror and stuff or whatever. So, you know, pay your respects yeah. and, and, and whatnot. And it's a short movie. It's only like 72 minutes or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what works really well is the mood, the atmosphere, um, the sinister performance yeah. on Bella Lugosi's part. And that's where we get all our Halloween vampire costumes from. I know, right? <laughs> People still dress up as the Bella Lugosi incarnation of Dracula. Yeah. Um, I love that castle set. I really yeah. do. Um, the scene where he's leading uh, Renfield up the stairs and he like walks mm. through the spider webs. Yeah. Um, still really cool. Still really cool. And that's like, that's part of that charm that it has, you know? Yeah. Um, it's maybe not my favorite adaptation of Dracula, but I still, it is the best, like we were saying yeah. before. So, Dracula. Drac. Check it out. Little Drac. Little Drac. That's the name of a bat that was rescued by some, <laughs> there's a whole story oh. about it. His name was Little Drac. Um, so I kind of with mine, the thing is, is when people ask me what my favorite movie is about anything, I immediately forget every movie I ever watched. So I was trying to, <laughs> I know, right? so I was trying to list them in like, kind of like, okay, what do I think of when I first think when people say, I want to watch a horror movie, what comes to mind for me that mm-hmm. I say I want to watch? And then after I wrote them down, I kind of said, okay, well, why did I say that? So the very first thing I wrote down was, uh, trick or treat. Mike Doherty um and the thing about and this one to me it encapsulates so much of horror media as a whole because it's basically like somebody took a collection of Stephen King short stories and turned them in to a film because you get naughty you you get the sort of film conventions of horror with the jump scares with the sort of tropiness of of the virgin and, you know, the kids playing a trick and that sort of thing, along with sort of like the literature history of horror, where you've got these collection of mm-hmm. short stories, these quick Poe-like one-off, you know, very twisty, very sudden stories and the way they're sort of interconnected. Like, I feel like, you know, this is such a great one to start with because, A, you know, it's like Halloween the movie. But B, <laughs> it's not relying on how much it can frighten you or how much it can shock you, but like how much it can immerse you in this sort of like just the total season and the atmosphere of Halloween and kind of what goes into, well, what's scary? Like, you know, you've got the principal who's poisoning kids. You've got the the kids who are playing tricks, like these awful tricks on each other. You've got the man next door who's like the shut-in for some reason and he seems kind of dangerous. You've got um, the stalker who turns out to to end up, you know, be sort of maybe the prey by the end of it and, you know, a Mm -hmm. surprising twist for, you know, who really is the predator and you, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, as it were, (laughs) and that sort of thing. Like, there's just so much going on here that is a, a lot to have fun with. And I think that's what yeah. people a lot need to see a lot in horror is that it can be so much fun. Like it's not that it needs to be terrifying. Yes. This is, this is a great recommendation for the starter pack because it is very playful. Mm-hmm. 
um, in the story, but also in like the technical qualities. I yeah. feel like it's it's, it's very, very like, colorful. It is, and it's perfectly creepy in every way. Yeah, um, the cinematography is like very creaky and very nostalgic. Production design is really high. Um, yeah, like almost like impeccable yeah. and stuff or whatever. It's just, it's just very rich, yeah. you know, like, and it, it almost felt like it was conceived as a cult classic. Yeah. Cause it's like, so funny. Cause it was supposed to be released in theaters and it ended up being released direct to video. And I was like, I can't imagine mm-hmm. it any other way because like, you know, this is such a cult film. And it, it works so. so well in its sort of kind of tiny microcosm of the way, you know, because it feels like a little cult film. Like, it feels like a group of people got together and made a movie instead of, like, having, you know, these crazy... Because even the parts that are special effects are, like, live, like, they're puppets or they're live effects, which you see a lot in Krampus, mm-hmm. too, the other, the other big film he did, where he... Because he's very into kind of um, encapsulating that sort of old horror and that sort of... Um, Halloween attraction horror where like you know maybe it doesn't look 100% real in your face but that's mm-hmm. part of the fun of it is that you know it's yeah. a Halloween prop it feels like campfire stories come to life yeah or come to the screen yeah and that that is really fun and I think it's a good transition for people who are in that phase yeah. you know you can you know Campfire stories don't phase you anymore. You can hear the creepy stuff. Now you want to see the creepy stuff. This is perfect for for that. And it has, you know, all the great things that make Halloween memorable, like Miss Mel was saying. Candy and pranks and um, secrets and myths about jack-o'-lanterns and the old cranky guy who hates Halloween. Um, And it all... Like, you've got these interlocking stories, and there's so much room for things to get fucked up in the writing. Mm -hmm. But it all comes together with a lot of, like, ease. There is one just, you know, for people who haven't seen, there's one really, really good sort of um, story turn that happens in the movie that is just, like, knowing it and then going back and watching it and realizing, like, what you missed with it and kind of what was really happening and being said is just so clever and it works so well. And like it seems like something that would be so hokey by the time it happens, and when it's but it's so perfect, and it's like of course it works in this movie because this movie is like so self aware. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's not really like it's not really meant to be scary. No, it's just in a way it's sort of an exploitation film. Yeah, but you know because like Darkity doesn't really give a fuck, like. No. What do you think of this movie? He's just... Yeah, he just wanted... He literally took a Halloween traction and turned it into a movie. It's basically what it is. You know, it's all these tropes of Halloween and all these sort of, like, things that you would see kind of laid out before you in a story. Someone was trying to tell you about something spooky that happened on Halloween night. Yeah. Um, And it's just so... It's so charming. It is. (laughs) In an awful way. It is. So. And just very memorable. Yeah. So no matter what time of year it is, you should you should watch it. But yeah. if you're especially especially right now, you should definitely be watching this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and supp- number two, he promises is on its Next way. Next year, yeah, supposedly. Now that Krampus is done, 
Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. So. So. Okay. Uh, back to me, I guess. Yep. Um, obviously, if we're giving you guys the horror starter pack, um, we've got to talk about Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, well, I, I, I went with a couple. The one I'm going to recommend officially is The Birds. Um, 1963 starring Tippi Hedren and Veronica Cartwright, one of the most underrated scream queens you'll find out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people kind of think of The Birds as being Hitchcock's like last true masterpiece. And I think there's something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't seen it, it's about, um, Tippi Hedren plays this, uh, her name's Fashionable. Melanie. <laughs> yeah, her name is Melanie. <laughs> Melanie Daniels. Yeah. Um, it's me. I don't know. What, I think she's just like a socialite. I don't think she does anything. Yeah, she's just like a chick. Literally, yeah, that's tiny. like her role. Um, <laughs> Local she, like, chick. She's attorney and a pet shop. And then she just kind of like casually stalks him after that with yeah. a gift. She brings him birds, yeah. like lovebirds. Yeah, the doves. Yeah. And then when she gets to um, his little seaside California town, Bodega Bay... The bird population starts going not so, not so, and then the townsfolk are like fucked essentially, mm-hmm. and so it becomes almost kind of a creature feature mixed with like a locked room sort yeah, of horror, sort of isolation. Well, because that's uh, like if you read the original short story, it was totally isolation, like was yeah. the real fear in that one because it was like some cabin on the moors of England while yeah. this bird attack was happening. It's very different. Yeah. Um, but, well, I mean, like, on the surface level, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, in true Hitchcock style, it, the birds is, like, um, a master class in, like, suspense and horror. Um, the, all the, the technical filmmaking is, like, perfect demonstration. Um, it's, like... And it's also, like, but yet for all of this, it's, like, weirdly underappreciated. Yeah. I feel like, and when it comes to, like, cinema history or even when it comes to just looking at Hitchcock, I mean, that I can understand a bit more because Hitchcock made a lot of brilliant movies, but... Um, yeah, a lot of people don't think of the birds. And it's interesting because you will find even people who consider the birds kind of the genesis of the slasher genre. Mm-hmm. Like, it's sometimes considered the thing that catal- catalyzed that genre. Um, but yeah, it's because you will find it's usually one or the other. It's usually somebody who's like, yeah, the birds or somebody who's like, you know, F the birds. Like, I don't, you know. Yeah. It's kind of a weirdly polarizing film. It is. It is weird. And I'm, I'm, it might be because, and this is kind of a good reason to recommend it for beginners. The first half, while there is a very steady buildup of, and like foreshadowing of what's ultimately going to happen, for the most part, the first half is just kind of a romance. Um, yeah, because she's trying to get in his pants. Yeah, but that does, Hitchcock does take that opportunity. Like, we really get to know these characters. Um, and, like, we get a good sense of who they are. So that when shit starts going down, we feel that tension and we feel that fear because we really care about yeah um, these people. And, um, like I mentioned before, just the technical 
aspect of things is really impressive. Like the camera work is um, on point. So if you're the kind of person who looks for those sort of things. And the acting is great. Um, this is Tippi Hedren's debut. Rod Taylor's in it. Uh, Jessica Tandy. And like I said, a young Veronica Cartwright. Um, these are all plays a man walking a dog in the beginning. <laughs> he does. <laughs> these are all big names in the horror community. If you're just starting out, you might not know that. But yeah. Um, and there's that sort of iconic scene where she's locked up in the room where she was actually attacked by birds. She was. I, she, I, the ending, I mean, not like the ending ending, the final shot, which mm -hmm. is kind of ambiguous and yeah. you won't give that away. But like, um, Tippi Hedren decides to go upstairs because she hears the sound. That does piss me off. That is the first instance of a white person making a poor decision. Uh, and Tippi Hedren even asked him on the set. She's like, why does my character go upstairs here? And he just said, because I told you to. Yeah. Um, it's Because it's a really tight script and it's a good screenplay until, until she, this moment. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's allowed to have one flaw because other than that, it's pretty, like, perfectly crafted. Yeah. So, The birds. The birds. My Hitchcock. Um, and Mel while we're on that, I'm going to, well, you guys <laughs> don't know what order I wrote my list in, so I'm not going out of order. So the birds, um, yes, this leads right into my choice, not necessarily for the Hitchcock thing, but just something I wrote down, which is obviously, well, it's one that Craig wrote down too, but we decided to switch them off. Um, the one that came out before The Birds, that one that probably everyone knows a little bit more by Hitchcock is Psycho. Sort of like, yeah. um, I had the, to. <laughs> basically everything that the birds was in terms of suspense, in terms of this sort of like, maybe even a little bit of a slasher feel came from Psycho. Mm -hmm. And every film that came after that, no matter what genre of horror it is, probably took something from Psycho. Um, it is this, for those of you who have, you know, are living under a rock and don't know about Norman Bates... <laughs> Or don't watch A&E at all. Um, yes. uh, essentially, it is um, the one of the great scream queens um, who gave birth to another great scream queen. <laughs> um, it stars in it as our as our leading lady, uh, Janet Leigh. Um, basically, stays at this very creepy motel run by this very sort of shut-in, disturbed-seeming, but somewhat still kind of charismatic owner named Norman Bates, who's got this mother that that you don't really see quite, you know, you hear, you know, Norman and his mother, and what ends up happening is, you know, this total fucked-up-ness, Jekyll and Hyde-like, Freudian, like, Norman Bates is one of the most interesting villains in horror. Absolutely. Like, you cannot find a more well-crafted slasher killer than Norman Bates because right. he is so terrifying because he's so unhinged. And this is not, a, and this is not a spoiler. I mean, it's no, you know it's that from the get go that yeah. Norman is not right. No, uh, we're not giving away the ending. No, he's. I promise. <laughs> no, no, and, <laughs> you know, it's just he's like this completely 
just like there's something just so off about him and that's even more horrifying i think than what ends up happening and what you see happening is the fact that she's staying in this this you know kind of creepy motel and the owner is just there's something so off about him mm-hmm. and i think that just plays into everyone's kind of fear of like you know like everyone jokes like oh yeah you're going to walk past like 30 um serial killer or 30 murderers in your life statistically or something like that and it's like okay you know what happens if you know you talk to one or talk to somebody and they just seem Uh a little bit weird you know anytime you talk to someone you're like wow this person's really weird like you have no idea what's bubbling beneath the surface and that's kind of the thing with psycho is it's and you know as the name suggests it's kind of like you know the original psychological horror film as well because it's so plays with like you know, what you see and what you think and what you're told and what's actually going on. Um, And not knowing what's actually going on in a lot of ways, I think, is scarier than, you know, it's kind of like Stephen King's sort of thing where he says the idea of the monster is scarier than the monster staring you in the face. And that's Mm -hmm. Norman Bates. You know, the idea that there's something not quite right about him um, is is terrifying. Mm-hmm. the entire film um and what is brilliant is that hitchcock lets you at certain points think that you do know what's going on and you don't um and that's like ugh, it's freaky it's yeah. still it's still a freaky movie it's very now. freaky and um, we all fear showers a little bit because of it <laughs> i know right um yeah i think hitchcock like made better movies in his career, but I feel like Psycho is definitely his most influential, mm-hmm. his most famous, um, his most successful, and like, there's a good reason for that, for what it did. Yeah. Um, there's so much we could say about it. I'm sure we'll do a future episode dedicated just to Psycho, yeah. but um, for now, we'll. Uh, I'm going to bite my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> you can go watch um, Bates Motel on A and E is also a Netflix. It's yeah, actually not a bad um, little offshoot of it. I really enjoy it. Yeah, um, it's a contemporary prequel to Psycho. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's not a it's, total. It's not a truly faithful. Yeah, because it's taking place, you know, in our times with yeah. cell phones and computers and stuff or whatever. That being but said, the what's his bones face? of the story are there? Looks a lot like Anthony Perkins. <laughs> Yeah, Freddie Highmore looks a lot like Anthony Perkins. Um, but yeah, Psycho. Just Psycho. Absolutely. Stuff. Absolutely. Okay. Next up, um, you want to get into horror? You got to know about your creature features. Oh, yeah. Um, tons of obvious movies we could go with here. Um, and that's not to say you can't f- seek out things like Jaws or The Thing. Um, the original blockbuster Jaws. Yeah. Um, those are good, good creature feature starters. But what I'm going to recommend is The Mist. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, directed by Frank Darabont of Walking Dead fame. Adapted from Stephen King's short story. Um, so you, it don't know the mist it's um you know we're in a small main town because stephen king (laughs) there is nothing that exists anywhere in the united states except new england england. 
for Stephen King. <laughs> for Stephen King. And uh, so there's a violent storm, and afterwards, this dense cloud envelops the entire town, and it traps a bunch of people in a grocery store, and they soon discover that the mist um, is concealing something inside of it that mm-hmm. threatens not only their lives, but in true Stephen King fashion, their sanity. Um, this is a really fun movie. Um, it's, it's handled really well, but whatever you feel about Frank Darabont, I know he's a polarizing figure, um, but this is very well directed. Like he knows what to do with a Stephen King story. Um, it gets a little Lord of the Flies because the humans go kind of crazy and primitive while they're fighting the monsters. Almost to the point where, like, the monsters are kind of inconsequential. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, hey, you know, and stuff or whatever. Um, the ending, I think, is what really has kept this movie in the public eye, though, because it's gut-wrenching it is not the same mm-hmm. ending to the short story if you're familiar um it's and it's very bleak um and very dark but if you want to be in this wonderful world of horror you you gotta suck it up um you know it, it's from 2007 so there's a little bit of that mid 2000s cgi going on but <laughs> Um, that was a good time for CGI. It was something. It was something. But for the, I mean, like really solid overall for the most part. Um, good direction, good cinematography, and like I said, an ending that's gonna kick you in the throat. <clears throat> and if, like, in terms of creature features, obviously, like, there's the typical ones. This is kind of more of a unique go at it. I feel like. Yeah. If you're somebody who's kind of like a little bit um, n- not really into getting into like the creature feature, the aspect of Jaws was not really your thing, or the idea of like a salivating monster is not your thing. Like this is definitely a really unique, suspenseful, creepy way to do a creature feature. Yeah. And I mean, the best creature features, I feel like, delve into that that psychological realm mm-hmm. where you know we start getting into the the fucked up minds of our characters um isolation being a big part of that like in the thing um and in the mist that's played with and and it works really well yeah. so check it out check it out while we are still on the topic of um sort of classic films one that comes to my came to mind for me pretty quick as well, and I mentioned a bit when we talked about our favorite books, is the 1963 adaptation of Shirley Jackson's book, The Haunting of Hill House, entitled The Haunting, um, by Robert Wise, who he produced. I think he directed it. He produced it. I think he directed. I think he directed it. He might have done both. <laughs> um. <laughs> But basically, you know, I, I mentioned a lot of this in the in that first podcast, but this, you know, the haunting and its source material are the 
source of of the idea of terror and suspense in horror films in a lot of ways. Obviously, people did it before then, and and that you know they it didn't in, invent anything, but it was considered kind of the ultimate analytic tool for looking at ways to scare the audience without having anything ever actually really happen. Um, because with The Haunting, it's this group of people who are invited to take part in this um, paranormal study of this very creepy house that nobody in town wants to go near. And most of them are skeptics, and they're doing it, you know, to have something to do or because they're getting paid or whatever. But uh, the longer they stay in the house, the more they feel uneasy, and things seem to be happening, but they're not sure if it's actually happening or it's psychological because, you know, they're trapped in a house, and they were told all these spooky ghost stories, you know, and it's not really made totally clear if something supernatural is going on or if they're just sort of, you know, having mind games with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just such a great uh, look at at what Shirley Jackson describes as terror, is the possibility of something happening as opposed to basking in, in what happens when it happens. Um and it's just such a it's and it's a beautiful film to watch too. There's something about watching black and white films, and this is true for Psycho mm. too. Like there's just it's, and I don't know if it's just because of the the way it recalls sort of the noir feel, but I love watching black and white horror films. And me too. And like, don't let that turn you off, like because this, you know, the haunting still holds up really well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it is just beautiful to watch. You know, I mean, Robert Wise is a very talented director it, um, and it's cool because the camera they use for it too they used like an ex what at the time was basically an experimental camera lens that like gave it this distorted feel because it really wasn't technically ready for for like actually being used and he was like ah fuck it we're mm-hmm. gonna do it and it like creates <laughs> this like weird vibe to it like the, everything about yeah. this movie is just kind of unsettling and that you know is kind of like it's it's its ultimate um, positive facet is the fact that it's just generally from start to finish unsettling. Yes. Um, and it's, you know... That's like the perfect word for it. Yeah. And it's, you know, and if you're somebody who likes to jump out of your seat 10 feet in the air, you know, you know, whatever. But if you're somebody who's looking for more of a subtle scare and a more intelligent scare, you know, this is yeah. a really great film. This is more moody. It's moody and or... it's the original... Um, haunted house, essentially. Yeah. Um, well, well described. We Thank like you. the haunting here in Splatter We like the haunting. Um, as this kind of subset of the haunted house story or the ghost story or um, uh, possession movies. Yeah. I think now is a good time to talk about The Exorcist. Yep. Which we both... Obviously suggested mm-hmm. as a uh, the next entry on your starter pack. Um, still to this day, ranked almost exclusively as um, the greatest horror film of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot to be said to that. Um, whether you agree with that particular moniker or not... Um, the Exorcist is still a brilliantly made film. Um, one of the few horror films to be nominated for the Oscar for Best Picture. Yeah. Um, in fact. And I think still 
to this day, it's regarded as the standard of horror filmmaking. Yeah. Um. And you look at any, like, because The Conjuring was so good because, and I'll talk about this a little bit, spoiler later, but because mm-hmm. it, it recalled The Exorcist in so many obvious and, and, and good ways, because The Exorcist was like, the it's like such an example of like basically a family drama or a personal drama that just happened to be a horror film. You know, it's like so, so involved and cares about its characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's kind of doing things with a purpose. And, you know, the ending, uh, not, you know, not giving anything away, but the way the ending works with with the, the one character is just almost like sad and gut-wrenching. But also, you know, it's like... It's just like that's that's the one thing I always loved about The Exorcist is like the way that it cared so much about its its protagonist, yeah, um, and the way it sort of delved into his life, mm-hmm. and how brutal it still was, yeah, and disturbing towards towards those characters, yeah, because um, this is a very sinister film. It's like yeah. really powerful, but it's, I mean, there's some dark stuff going on here, like. I remember one review, like, and this was recent, like, still referred to it as, like, the most faith-shattering horror movie you could watch. Yeah. And I kind of agree with that because it's so unnerving in the way that, like, I don't know. It makes you very, very uncomfortable, not even just because of what you're physically seeing on screen and, like, that surface-level visceral horror, but more for, like, the subsurface fears it's asking you to confront. Oh yeah. Like that dark closet door. Yeah. Kind of thing. You know, the, the layers of sort of metaphors in the film, because you've got this situation where you've got a, you know, someone questioning their faith because of these things that are going on. And it's like beyond that, like, you know, the religious tones, it's got you kind of like unsettled about everything else that's going under the, on under the surface. Like what else you know, do you want to question? And that's why I love about the interrogation scene where he's sort of talking to the demon and the demon answers things wrong sometimes, you know, d- d- doesn't get everything right. So he says it can't possibly right. be a possession. And it's so like, that's so fascinating to me because it's like, you know, then what is it? What's going on? Like, cause this isn't, none of this is normal. None of it's, it's, it seems, you know, far beyond the realm of, of somebody acting out and it's like, okay, if this is a demon, why doesn't it, you know, know everything that it's supposed to know and all these other things? Like, I just, that's one of my favorite parts about this movie is the, that sort of interrogation scene and the choices they made writing wise. Yeah. Um, and there's so much to, to, to take from it. And yeah, I think you, yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head with, with that. And, um, and uh, it'll also, you know, let you check out two of, um, you know, horror's biggest icons, mm-hmm. Linda Blair and Max von Sydow, um, Linda Blair. At the top of their game. Oh, yeah. So, and there's so much to say about The Exorcist and so much that I'm sure we will <laughs> come back to again and again and again in future episodes because it's one of the most influential. Yeah if not the most influential horror film out there. Yeah, that opening scene 
opening shot. Mm -hmm. Oi. Um, yeah. So while we're talking about things that Craig and I both had, <laughs> um, and we're, I guess, suppose we're kind of moving chronological at this point a little bit. Um, yeah. In terms of his, this is one that I did think of in terms of subgenres, even though I really wasn't doing that too much. And Craig obviously had in his subgenres, but is kind of the original slasher as we know it. Um, and the sort of ultimate Halloween film that you can watch is Halloween. Halloween. Uh, with its famous uh, villain, The Shape, later uh, known as Michael Myers. Um, and this is just like, you know, the... It did that no one did the slasher the way that Halloween did it because it was the terrifyingness of this this creepy figure killing at random, having some strange, unexplained obsession with Laurie Strode. And it's like just everything about it is, you know, we've talked a lot about how films are unsettling and that's really good. Like this is un is a perfect mix of unsettling and watching the sort of horror play out in front of you yes. at the same time. Yes. It is like... <sighs> this is... Halloween is like the perfect argument for the power of simplicity mm -hmm. in your horror movie. Like, you don't need tons of blood. You don't need gory kills. You don't need a huge budget. Um, but you can still terrify an entire generation. And that's what happened with Halloween. Yeah. Um, and it's, and people have tried to, to, to do that again. Like over the years, how many filmmakers have tried to like cut and paste mm -hmm. Halloween, you know, into their own movies and no one ever quite gets it right. Yeah. No, there, and there's so like, you know, the, the body language of, of, Michael Myers and like the sort of beauty of like that completely emotionless mask that he wears. I mean that literally, not like figuratively. Mm -hmm. For those of you who haven't seen literally. the movie, he's literally wearing a mask. For those literally of you who are under a rock, um, which was a plaster mold of a Kirk mask from yeah. Star Trek, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know the way and like that opening scene of him and his sister the POV sequence. yeah and the way that um dr loomis is like talking about him he's like the monster the monster is loose and it's like you know it combines so much because yeah it's this the original slasher and it's you know a human murderer but the way dr loomis talks about it it's like it's like a creature it's like not human at all like because he even says mm -hmm. he's like there's nothing inside of his head that's human there's nothing inside of his body that that, you know, he's an animal. And it's so, like, creepy and terrifying. And, yes, like, we love the story that we find out later. You know, like, he Lori's his sister and he's trying to, you know, murder the rest of his family. Which is something that comes into a play in a lot of later horror films. Um, you know, but here the simplicity of, you know, just hearing all the awful things this thing is capable of. And the fact that it's hunting down these teenagers on Halloween night is so, so freaky. Mm-hmm. And that that moment at the end, um, we're, we'll give you the crazy details, mm -hmm. but where Lori has the opportunity, and she asks Dr. Loomis, was that the boogeyman? Yeah. And he says, as a matter of fact, it was. Yeah. And 
that just like sinks into your soul at the end of the movie um, as that incredibly iconic and chilling soundtrack plays one final time. Um, like yeah. you, you, you can never recreate that. No, you know, and so many, so many, so many people try. And that's the thing about the perfection of this as a slasher film is like a slasher. You want to create this sort of erythral feel about your killer. Like it is the boogeyman, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. that's, what the thing really is to fear at the end of the day, no matter what you call him, no matter what his backstory is, and nothing has come close to capturing that the way that Halloween has. Yeah. And so I feel like so many future slasher films or, um, you know, even the forensic horrors of the 90s, like, tell us that these killers are pure evil, you know, or tell us that are the killer, the slasher, is the boogeyman. But Halloween shows us that which is so much more effective I mean you you think of Lori she's being stalked throughout the entire film and doesn't realize it yeah Um, and that is that's a tough trick to pull off yeah Um, yeah because like several people die before she even realizes that anything's mm -hmm. going on Mm -hmm. Um, and of course this is the film that Crowned Jamie Lee Curtis as the queen scream queen. And the final girl. And yeah, she's the quintessential final girl. Um, she's perfectly cast. Like, it obviously turned her into an icon. Um, all final girls are pretty much modeled after Laurie Strode. Um, all scream queens, you know, as. Beloved as they might be, no one quite matches Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, so definitely something to check out. And it's October; you got to watch Halloween. Of course, come on, come on! You got to see the what was it like fifty tons of fake leaves that they had to put out because they filmed yes, it. They filmed it the summer. Yeah, the fake um, autumn leaves. So, I guess we're still going in chronological order then. Because it's a theme. Yeah. Oh. What? I was going to... Well, no. No, you gonna, go. I was just going to bet... If we were backtracking a little bit chronologically... Go for it. I just noticed um, in terms of zombie movies. Ooh, yes. Talk. Um, Tell us more. Night of the Living Dead. Yes. Not um, just because Craig's from Pittsburgh. And not <laughs> just because I'm from Pittsburgh, where if you don't know, um, all of Romero's zombie movies are more or less filmed in that area. At least the early ones. Um. And then I think he went away for a little bit. <laughs> um, he went away. Went away. Night of the Living Dead. There's a, Again, as with most of these movies, there's, there's so much to talk about with, with all of them. But Night of the Living Dead is what you want to go with if you want to check out the zombie subgenre. Because Romero in this movie gave us the current conception of the zombie. Mm-hmm. Um, before... This, this movie, the idea of our zombie was very different. Um, it was more of a, not quite undead, but a, like a living person whose will was stripped away from them, usually by some sort of like Haitian or voodoo yeah. magic. Um, zombie it, in the metaphorical sense. 
the yeah. abstracts. I Walked with a Zombie or The White Zombie from the 1940s. Um, Wes Craven looked at this idea of the zombie again and Serpent and the Rainbow. But the idea of the ghoul as zombie, um, the dead being reanimated, really started with Romero and Night of the Living Dead. Um, and it's, it's everything you want in a horror film. You know, you got people trapped in a house. Um, by zombies, so there's the fun isolation factor, um, trying to survive, trying to survive the paranoia with each other and yeah. the trauma and injuries and how do we escape and figuring out what exactly is going on. I mean, these are what make a great zombie movie. Um, and if you like more depth and stuff to your horror movies, there's a lot of that with Night of the Living Dead, too. There's a there's- lot of layers. Layers and political allegory you can get into. We're not going to do that right now, <laughs> but you can. Um, and a really bleak, devastating ending yeah. too. Yeah, that it still gets me angry. Yeah, that. Um, but there's a lot to read into about. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of that series, a lot of people think Dawn of the Dead is the better film that's the the sequel the second one that was 10 years later i kind of tend to agree but of course as a starter pack and you want to hit your classics and yeah for a beginner go with night of the living dead and then by all means watch dawn of the dead and you know it's interesting too because when people you know they think of zombies they think of the walking dead 28 days later like this made the slow zombies super scary which you know now is kind of a joke and kind of like this stock character but you know it's pretty scary to watch every time they look out the 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 window when they're in the house and the zombies are just kind of like slowly making their way towards them and you're like you know there's no explanation given for them you just see them do it you see them attacking each other attacking other humans like the lack of explanation in the film is what really i think you know, yeah, is great because you know, twenty eight days later, it's like okay, there was like a virus, rabies virus, and you know, however, I'd never watched The Walking Dead, but however they explain it, I'm sure in The Walking Dead, like not explaining it and just having yeah. these humans just completely turn into animals is so freaky. Yeah, and it's so interesting. It kind of gets into the political layers because the implication that's given in the movie is that the cause behind this is because it might have to do with some sort of like radiation from a satellite that has circled back into earth's atmosphere. Um, And so this, this myth of like the virus and, and stuff or whatever that has now been adopted as like the standard for the zombie myth wasn't actually present at the inception, which is really interesting. Um, Although, of course, maybe it was because the movie never tells you outright why they're back. Um, And it just leaves that sense of dread hanging over. But it's fun to look at the the different implications and the different layers. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Zombies. Zombies. All right. Moving forward. Moving forward. Now we're jumping back forward into the 90s. What a time. Um, Anyone who takes, I think, a class in film and talks about the 90s knows how incredibly crazy meta and self-referential and sort of existential it all was because who knows what was going on. Um, but one of the, this film isn't really, I would, 
it's horror, it's slasher. I never really consider it that because, you know, it's not that traditionally. It's more of this sort of meta-analytic uh, film. But 1996's, I believe, Scream. Yay! Um, which is <laughs> parodied quite well in um, Scary Movie, which wouldn't have existed. Like, the idea of parody films and parody films like that happened because of Scream. Um, but basically this film by Wes Craven is, um, a perfect balance of unpacking horror, making fun of horror, talking about what makes horror tick while being within a horror film. Um, because it's this slasher film about this girl who, uh, a year or so after the death of her mother, she finds herself kind of wrapped up in this new local string of killings by a figure who seems to be targeting her or harassing her in some way. Um, obviously, this figure is the iconic Ghostface um, character who I think everyone dressed up as, as at some point in the, during Halloween if you were born in the 90s. <laughs> um, and basically, you know, there's this character, Randy, who's going through the rules of horror throughout the movie and what you have to do to survive and how, you know, someone might die and what the virgin character means and all these sorts of things. And you start to find out, you know, maybe that does have a lot to do with what's going on. You know, maybe the blueprint of a horror movie... Um, is part of, you know, what's kind of inspiring this, this killing. And it just, it's such a, it's everything that Scream Queens wished it could be. Wishes still, because it's still on. Still very much so. If you're somebody who watches Scream Queens or is aware of it, watch Scream instead, because this is what a parody um, movie in horror should look like. Because it's, you know, one part parody, one part serious film. You know, and it's just, it's so well done. And, you know, um, Sydney, Sydney Prescott, um, played by Neve Campbell, like, such a great, great, you know, homage to, to Laurie Strode and kind of the, the final girl at, and the Scream Queens who came before her. Mm -hmm. Um, really great character. Um, and the way, you know, Ghostface is portrayed and what and what Ghostface ends up being and you know when we get our killer revealed you know is so so smart and so kind of um tied in with this idea of you know like well if this was a horror film how would it go well you know it's just it's really it's a really great thing to watch you know it's I don't consider it scary at all um yeah. it's a great thing to watch to kind of like poke fun at horror, kind of think about what makes horror uh, as a genre and, you know, just have a little bit of fun, you know. you know. There's this great line by this one character, Tatum, who's, you know, when she's cornered by the killer and she says, you know, please, Mr. Go you know, she's joking. She's like, please, Mr. Ghostface, don't kill me. I want to be in the sequel. And it's like such a great, you know, indicative line of this film is like what it's all about. Is these people who aren't taking seriously the fact that they're in a horror film. You know, it's kind of like Cabin in the Woods, if Cabin in the Woods is a little less ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and it's the perfect... It's a great movie to watch at, like, any stage of, like, your horror movie development. Mm -hmm. Like, you can appreciate it 
in so many different ways as a beginner, you know, like as part of our starter pack and stuff or whatever. And you can see so many different things like after, you know, you've seen dozens and dozens and then hundreds and hundreds of, you know, horror movies since then and stuff or whatever. There's always something interesting to pick out of it and a different way to approach it and stuff or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And even it's, it's one of those few horror films that, you know, the sequel is actually still really solid and they actually play with, you know, they're very conscientious of making their franchise make sense for, for what they're trying to say and what they were trying to do. You know, it's not just making movies to make them. It's like, you know, okay, we've made a sequel. What happens in a horror sequel? Okay, we've made a horror trilogy. What happens in a horror trilogy? <laughs> oh, we've made a horror remake. You know, what does that mean? And that sort of thing. So, yeah. Scream. So, Scream. Yeah. And a favorite of ours here at Splatter mm-hmm. Chatter. Um, okay. I just have a couple more to get to. Uh, oh, um... Uh, backtracking a little bit again. Um, alien or space horror? Yeah. What is, where should you start? Obviously, with Alien. I mean, come on. It's, yeah. it's, the name is right there. You need some <laughs> chest buster in your life. You do. Um, alien is, and this is how it was pitched, Halloween in space. It is essentially a slasher film. On a spaceship. Mm-hmm. But we trade in Michael Myers for uh, the alien, the creature, the xenomorph, um, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And we trade in Jamie Lee Curtis for Sigourney Weaver. And um, it's pretty fucking great. Yeah, no, it's really good. Um, really, really good. Or did they pitch it as Jaws in space? I can't remember. Maybe <laughs> trading in the shark for the alien. I'd say it's more, if I were to pick one, though, it's more Halloween because the alien very much feels like a serial killer. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're picked off one by one. Yeah. You know, and... um, They're trapped in the space station, so there's nowhere to run. Like, you've got the isolation. But you're in space. You've got the isolation Right. Like, you can't get more isolated than that. Yeah. Like, there is nowhere you can go. Like, you... Like, this thing is either going to kill you or you're going to kill it. Um, and, um, Ridley Scott, very divisive, um, even for me, but like did, did awesome work here. Um, Sigourney Weaver sealed her place, you know, as a, as a screen queen, Ripley is one of the most iconic, um, characters in the world of horror. Um, she's Veronica Veronica Cartwright, a grown up Veronica Cartwright is (laughs) in Alien. Veronica Cartwright. She's like she's such an underappreciated screen queen. Um uh, so yeah. Um and uh and the sequel, Aliens, um you know, is yeah. equally if not more strong. Some people argue, you know, that whole like, oh, the sequel is never better than the original. Some people say aliens is better than the yeah. first. This comes up in a discussion in Scream 2 about whether or not <laughs> sequels can be better than the original. Yeah, they start Godfather Part 2 and Empire Strikes Back. and so I think Alien is better than Aliens, but I do still really like Aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, Anything's better than Prometheus. So. Yeah, oh my god. 
Yeah. The franchise gets a little... A little questionable. You know, a little questionable here and there. But um, the original, everything is is still gold. And beautifully filmed. Yeah. Um, and again, tons of layers you can unpack about sexuality and gender politics and... All that good stuff. All like that stuff, stuff in but... there. Um, while still being terrifying and visually appealing and psychologically interesting just as a movie yeah no and it's like you said it's beautiful to look at too sort of like the just white yeah. heavenly look of space where like all this like their ship yeah. like the just aesthetic the sequence yeah. when they're waking up from the pods ah gorgeous that, like the aesthetic design of their ship is this like aliens like busting out of their freaking stomachs and you know I, uh, eating the crap out of them um do you have is there more do you have others you said you had a couple i've got two left i just i have more how many do you have i've got two left one more two more two more i have two more great look at us yeah um okay so i'm still going in chronological order you're saying no i know my my, i have one from 1981 (laughs) and i didn't mean to do this (laughs) And and uh, one from not not 1980 from the 2000s. Well, this one's from 1999, and you all knew it was probably coming. <laughs> um, the original, perfect, ultimate found footage film, The Blair Witch Project, which I'm not going to talk about too much because if you want to know why it's perfect and you should watch it, then you can go listen to our Blair Witch Bonanza. That's right. A couple episodes back, but basically. You know, if you, you know, roll your eyes at at hearing the phrase found footage or seeing a new found footage trailer, watch Blair Witch. Because this, apart from being a found footage film, is just a really, really well put together film, period. No matter which way you look at it, from production to casting to writing to marketing, you know, this is what you want to watch if, you know you're kind of on the fence about, about anything in horror, yeah. anything in um, found footage. You know, this is just such a such a good good film. Well put together. Creepy, terrifying, unsettling, psychological, isolating. Basically everything we've set up until this point wrapped up into one, one little 90-minute film. <laughs> so that's... Go listen to the Blair Witch Bonanza and then go yeah. watch Blair Witch. And little then, asterisk. See Blair Witch Bonanza. See Blair Witch Bonanza, but don't watch the sequels. Yeah. Either of them. Either of them. Yes. Um, which one do I want to do? I'm all over the place. All right. Let's do my pick for vampires. Ooh. Um, again, lots of good options across the decades. Um, but I'm going to recommend for you guys 30 Days of Night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 2007 starring, uh, Josh Hartnett, who... Who did horror. <laughs> at one point. <laughs> who holds a special place in a lot of horror fans' hearts. He's on Penny Dreadful. Mm. Um, he plays Laurie Strode's son in Halloween H2O. I had to later. watch that for a film class in high school. Um, it is the best Halloween sequel. I stand by that. Yeah. Um, 
Even even a little bit better than Halloween 2. I know that's kind of sacrilege, but... Don't worry. Everything's better than Halloween 3 season of The Witch. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, and Melissa George, who is the lead in one of my favorite unsung horror movies, Triangle. Um, do not watch that as part of your starter pack. <laughs> <laughs> it is... It, Don't do it. You're not ready for it. Uh, um, we took a couple things off that we decided... <laughs> Yeah, Worth but uh, 30 Days of Night is one of my favorite, it might be my favorite vampire movie, actually. Yeah. Uh, oh no, Lost Boys is my favorite, but um, 30 Days of Night is like it. It's so much fun. It's this isolated small town in Alaska, and for one month a year, there's no sun. They're just like plunged into darkness. because Which of is kind whatever. of science. <laughs> kind of science, yeah, I don't know. It happens, and whatever. And so, of course, this year, when the sun goes down, the town is attacked by this gang of bloodthirsty vampires. And it's going to be night for 30 days, so they have an uninterrupted period of destruction, essentially, where they can rip this town to shreds. Oh, yeah. Um, and this is such a, like, fun, vicious, bloodthirsty movie. It totally fucks with the conception of the vampire that was established in Dracula, our earlier recommendation. Our taboo the kind vampire. Of like romantic, seducing figure and stuff or whatever that, that has continued. I mean, look at Twilight. Um, but 30 Days of Night totally fucks with that. I mean, these things are ugly and monstrous and they're gross they're gross they're they're just vicious i mean like that's the best word i can they like rip throats out like it's not like some seductive sort of like hickey on the neck like (laughs) (laughs) like no these motherfuckers are gonna drain every last drop out of you like your trachea is like across the snow (laughs) i don't give a shit yeah um and it's it's also like weirdly gorgeous in a way um the like glimmer of the sunlight as it like disappears is really really interesting there's some fun camera work um some cool like bird's eye shots as like over the town when townspeople start fighting back and there's this like it's a bleak movie like oh yeah the end well i'm not to give away the ending yeah much like um uh to Night of Living Dead, it doesn't super end on the happiest of notes. It does not. It does not. Um, yeah, and it's kind of crude in that sense, but it's also very like psychologically engaging and ambitious. And um, it's based on a graphic novel, so you kind of have that feel to it. Um, it's sort of surreal at points. Um, so yeah, it's. It's a bunch of things kind of all together, mostly like a survival film, but with vampires. Yeah, and it's it's totally like vampires as total monsters. Like, it's not like the yes. frothy version of, you know, monsters where it's like, oh, they're wearing a cape and they're well-pressed clothes and they're dangerous because they're attractive. Like, no, like, these guys are like apex predators. Yeah. Like, it's freaky, freaky shit. Yeah. So if you're if you're okay with letting go of your idea of the '90s tragically 
you know, heroic vampire or Dracula's right. like very handsome, yeah. alluring vampire. This is not Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in Interview yeah. with the Vampire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there's there's no powdered wigs to be found here. No, no, um, no. and fun and something you 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 need if you're you know getting into horror. Um, Plus, you get the balance there. If you watch this in Dracula, you get two ends of the vampire exactly. spectrum. And then this opens the doors to so many interesting vampire films that have happened lately. Byzantium, Let the Right One In. Uh, a Girl Walks Alone at Night. Yeah, A Girl Walks Alone at Night. So this is, this is where you're going to start. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my last one is kind of based on my picking of The Exorcist because this, I think, is one of the closest things we have in horror film that's come out in the past 10 years to The Exorcist and sort of like the, you know, films of the 70s that were like these great supernatural demonic horror films, which is um, The Conjuring. And I, by James Wan, and I kind of like waffled on it a little, like, because I was like this or like Insidious, because Insidious kind of has a bit of an annoying ending, but the cinematography and the tone of it is like so so visceral and like makes you feel like you're inside somebody's nightmare which I don't think anything else has really done recently but I went with The Conjuring because it did a lot of things in an excellent way modern way that The um, Exorcist did originally where you've got like this very real grounding in your characters like there's sort of two different stories going on in The Conjuring um before they converge the first is this family that moves to this new house it's five girls um, and they move into this new house, this new farmhouse, and they're kind of getting used to it. And the dad's away a lot because he's like a truck driver. And some weird stuff starts happening and it's kind of freaking them out a little bit. And then the other story you've got going on at the same time is this couple, this real life couple. Um, the, I forget, the, the Warrens. I was like, I can't forget their names. Um, Ed, <laughs> Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are most famous for... Um, investigating the Amityville Horror House. Um, mm. They were the ones who uh, kind of broke that story. And there's a clever little nod to that at the end of this film. But um, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are two real-life paranormal investigators, um, are kind of trying to distance themselves in this film from their um, their ghost hunting. Not unlike um, Father Karras and The Exorcist, kind of like having a crisis of faith. Like, these guys are kind of having some Very issues... Some personal issues. The Conjuring, I feel like, very much uses the scaffolding of the Exorcist. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, this is a modern version of the Exorcist, as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, so they kind of have their personal issues going on, and they're kind of thrust into this situation where they can choose to help this family or not, um, and how they choose to help this family is going to kind of dictate if they can be helped at all. Um... So on that front, I think it's great to begin with because it takes time to ground yourself in the world of this family, of these two families, um, while mixing in these sort of like unsettling little scares. And James Wan kind of has known at this point for these very freaky looking um, personifications of these demonic entities and these ghosts in his films. Like if you've seen Insidious, you know, you know, the yellow eyes, the sort of foggy atmosphere the gray skin um you know this is kind of the epitome of his style of of creating horror films um so all notwithstanding 
<laughs> <laughs> that's kind of something else entirely. But um, right, which you are also probably not ready for if you're just getting into horror. Yeah, but um, the Conjuring is literally yeah. It's it uses the Exorcist as scaffolding, and it knows it's doing it. It's not trying to hide it, and it very much is sort of a modern version of of what the Exorcist was doing. Um, when it came out, you know, obviously it will pale in comparison as history will remember it. But, you know, if you're looking for something to give you an idea of what the exorcist might have looked like to people when it first came out, you know, the conjuring mm, is as interesting. Close. Yeah. The conjuring for me is as close as you're going to get. That's a, yeah, I agree. Um, and the sequel was very strong. Yeah, I just had one little, and that's the nice thing too, is they're kind yeah, of creating their their sort of own um, Warren Marvel cinematic universe with um, the Conjuring, know, right? Conjuring Two, Annabelle, Annabelle Two. They're making the Nun now, which is a movie based on a character from the Conjuring Two, and even like the Insidious movies, yeah, obviously are so James Wan. They feel, but they feel like they're in that same universe. Yeah, it's like. So, yeah. It's on Cinematic Universe, I guess. Yes. Which is weird because he did the most recent Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah, that was, yeah, he, for some reason, did that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I will finish up with um, my last important subgenre. I think you are going to want to hit um, the werewolf movie. Yeah. And uh, my recommendation for that is one of my favorite Horror movies, definitely one of my favorite werewolf movies, An American Werewolf in London. <laughs> um, 1981, directed by John Landis, who um, most people will probably know from very different kinds of films, like Animal House and The Blues Brothers and Spies Like Us. Um, but he did delve into horror, and this was his best uh, uh, result of that. Um, Super simple premise. Two American tourists in England attacked by a werewolf. None of the locals admit that it exists. <laughs> Chaos ensues. Oh, yeah. As you can imagine. Um, one of the big reasons why this movie kind of stands the test of time and remains a horror classic is for um, the special effects. The transformation scene in particular. Um, uh, no surprise. I mean, I just told you that they're both attacked. So one of them turns into a werewolf and stuff or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, that scene is still, so, I mean, all done with practical effects. And it's still, like, probably the most impressive werewolf transformation scene. Um, Better than yeah. um, Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's always going to be better than that. <laughs> Everything's going to be better than that. Um... So, and really funny, like, it has such a yeah. black humor to it um, that, I mean, you, you, you find that in a good handful of horror movies, but it's it hard to pull always, off. It doesn't always land. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it lands here. Like, it's a very simple movie. It's to the point. Um, but it's like... That's refreshing. Like it's very, it's a very clean, straightforward in terms of like filmmaking and story and presentation. Um, but 
you get a lot out of it still. I'm always so surprised that werewolves really never took off in our craze of recent, you know, zombies, vampires, werewolves were a thing, but never really took off as like a, a sort of like, you know, monster that goes bump in the night for people. Yeah. Which I find interesting because that's kind of terrifying, the idea that somebody transforms into... And there's so much potential there to play with, like, the Jekyll and Hyde yeah. aspect of it all. Like, the monster within, the darkness within, da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. There's, and there's, there's a, a, yeah, there's a lot of... Red Moon is a great book about... Mm, that kind yeah. of takes the werewolf story and turns it into, like, a very political metaphor... Mm -hmm. um for um basically bigotry and prejudice and you know werewolves are something you should get it (laughs) absolutely and there's some great werewolf movies out there because i almost recommend it and i'll just do a quick shout out now for it uh ginger snaps Mm -hmm. um 2000 starring one of my favorite horror actresses and screen queens Catherine isabel um she's so brilliant in it and that's a really fun werewolf movie that is a little bit campy but still has plenty of like horror elements and gore and fun things about uh female sexuality and oh yeah cool things like my favorite psychological repression (laughs) not my favorite (laughs) yeah right (laughs) so that will wrap it up for don't say we didn't ever give you anything (laughs) i know (laughs) I think we gave you more. Sorry, Brad. You asked us for 10 to 12. We gave you a little bit more. We gave you 10 to 12 each, basically. Yeah, I know. There's lots of time in October. There is. And, yeah, I mean, you've got no excuse now. You've got plenty of things to watch if you need something spooky spooky uh, to get you in the the Halloween mood. Uh, One that Craig didn't mention but was on his list (laughs) As the initial one was the pen, the 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 <laughs> ultimate Halloween movie, Hocus Pocus, which for some reason we all only rediscovered about five years ago and are I, collectively I, obsessed with it. As a, I like watched it all the time growing no, up. No, I remember, and, and I feel like no one knew about it, and literally until like five years ago. Yeah, like I had a friend who showed it to me the first time when I was like seven years old. She's like, "You need to watch this." So I was like, "Okay," and she showed me Hocus Pocus. I was like, "Wow, that was really good." Fast forward 15 years later or so, and everyone's suddenly obsessed with Hocus Pocus. I know. I mean, like, rightly so, but it is just kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah, it's Um, weird. Like, everyone collectively decided to remember that Hocus Pocus exists. Like, that and uh, Halloween Town were really big for me. Yes! I loved Uh, Halloween Town. Halloween Town 2 is, like... Yeah! I love that one. Solid stuff. Yes, and though, I mean, like... Remember when Marnie became queen of Halloween (laughs) Town? my god <laughs> in the like fifth one or something uh, yeah i know right oh. they had the oh what was the fucking the, uh, halloween town high yeah i can't um, think of the third one and then the one after that was like halloween town university or something oh so dumb yeah and they recast marnie for some reason they like never gave an explanation for that <laughs> even though the actress was like yeah i was like signed on to do it <laughs> yeah so yeah we'll let's throw we'll throw those on yeah. in the starter pack the not so, hocus pocus and halloween town the not so scary choices the not so scary but very much capture that halloween spirit yeah witches salem a place called halloween town come on mm-hmm. so yeah i think uh 
We are at a wrap-up point. Unlike Craig, I'm not going to forget to say the contact information. That's your job from now on. That is my job from now on. So you, if you want to be like Annie and Brad? Yes. Yes. Annie. I don't know why I'm blanking on her name and not Brad's. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Um, If you want to be like Annie and Brad, you can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com the saga continues of us versus gmail um if you want to find us on twitter it is splatter chatter 666 without the vowels but you can always just search it in the search bar and we will pop up um tumblr is splatterchatter.tumblr.com uh craig's blog is splatterchatter666.blogspot.com uh and i think that's everything because we don't have a facebook or snapchat or instagram (laughs) No. Potential no. future accounts, but not Perhaps, at the moment. Not at the moment. Um, yeah, and I don't think we know what we're going to do yet. Something spooky, obviously. Um, I'm actually, Craig and I are going to be hanging out this weekend, which means we can't record because... <laughs> no, but we can plan. We can plan, and we can post on social media the fun things we're getting up to. We're not sure if we're going to do something in the city, Halloween-y, or we're just going to sit on his couch and delve into his horror collection. Yeah. One of those is which, more likely know, than the other. We could have some good reviews for you. We Next could. week. Yeah. One of those so. is m- more likely going to happen than the other. Yeah. <laughs> but but we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, if anyone's got any suggestions of things they want to hear, much like Annie and Brad, um, send them our way uh, on any of those social media channels and um, we'll get to them. And thank you for, thank you, Annie and Brad, for giving us this little idea to run with. Yeah. We hope you, um, we hope there were at least a couple titles in this starter pack that you haven't seen or that piqued your interest. Yeah. Um, same goes for any of you other listeners out there. Yeah. Um, let us know what you think of our recommendations. Yep, yep, yep. Um, if you like them, if you think they're shit, that's fine too. <laughs> let us know. Say what you would have suggested. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we can uh, sign it off now. All right, friends. Miss Mel and I are going to say adios, au revoir, and das Catch you next time.